a Christian education at a school named Crowley's Ridge Academy, a school associated with the Church of Christ. And there I learned to love the truth of God's Word, the facts of the Bible. You know, at an early age there in the uh, academy, uh, uh, you know, I could uh, quote verses and verses and verses. I could give you, you know, the 12, uh, uh, the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles, the books of the Bible. I knew my Bible facts. But it wasn't until later that I learned how to take those Bible facts and apply it into my life. You might uh, know that in my teaching of Bible classes, what is that common phrase? I'll say, so what? Practical applications for living today. Because I want us not just to know head knowledge, I want us to feel heart knowledge. Because when we have heart knowledge, that means we're going to be more likely to put it into practice. You know, this series that we're doing from 1 Peter called A Living Hope based on 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 is all because of that series we did in August about your five. We talked about people that you know, people that you love, people that are dear to you that are not faithful Christians. It was a sermon series to hopefully cause us to be more aware of the need to share our story with people. Well, 1 Peter is a book that's all about sharing the good news of Jesus. And guess what? There's many things I can't tell you about the future. But there's one thing that I'm pretty confident about. If you live long enough, you're going to feel the flame of pain. Pain will come into your life. It could be the pain of physical pain. It could be the pain of rejection. People that you love, people that are dear to you because you're not a Christian will turn their back on you. It could be the pain of hostilities. It could be emotional pain. But the flame of pain will come into your life. How you handle that will have a big impact on your five. Because your five, your five is watching you. And will you turn more to God in the midst of pain? Will you rest your confidence in Jesus? Despite the pain, how will you handle the pain? You see, we want to take this from just feelings in the head to feelings that we actually have in our hearts. And we put it into practice. We know that God is with us. That's head knowledge. But how do we practice it? How do we put it into our daily life? Guess what, folks? Your five need it. Now, you'll notice on this picture here, we've got five, I call them uh, uh, dolls, paper dolls. Five little green paper dolls. 
When you see this, every time you see this this morning, I want you to think about your five. Maybe the first one is good old Uncle Joe. Salt of the earth, but he's not a Christian. Maybe the second one is, maybe that's Grandma, Grandma Mary. Oh, she's religious, but she's religiously wrong. Maybe the third one is your neighbor. Maybe the fourth one is your best friend. Maybe the fifth one is a close relative. Every time you see this picture, I want you to think about your five that mean so much to you. Your five who are no, they're not faithful Christians. They need the Lord. This morning, the lesson is, Helping your five discover Jesus despite your pain. As Christians, what do we know? Well, we know that life will be great in heaven. Hey, you know, can you, can, can you picture that? You know, eternity in heaven, spending it with the Lord, with God, with all those great folks. Life in heaven will be great. But what about life here on earth with all its pain? Remember what we talked about last Sunday, verse number 10. For he who would love life, the Christian, should enjoy life more than anyone else. Why? Because we've got the joy of heaven waiting for us. We know we have the joy of heaven waiting for us. So as Christians... We should have the joy, 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 joy down deep in our hearts, always. But how does that work? How does that work when your best buddy turns his back on you and walks away because you're a Christian? How does that work when the doctor says you've got cancer? How does that work when the person you married that you believed in walks away. How does that work? Sure, the pain will be gone in glory, but what about finding the benefit in pain today? How do you do that? And how do you use your pain to encourage your five? That's really our question for today. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. And who is he? Peter wants to know. Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? The pain of opposition, the pain of abuse, verbal abuse, cutting you down, laughing at you. But even, <clears throat> even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are what? Blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of them. What can they really do to you? If you're going to find the blessing in pain, and if you're going to encourage your five, especially in those times when life gives you a bunch of lemons, and it will happen, amen, amen, then God would say to you, don't fear people. People will beat you down. That's true. When life is hard. 
Yes, the pain of their words, the pain of their intimidation is real. But don't fear it. Because you've got God on your side. Here in verse 14, Peter is quoting Isaiah, one of the Old Testament prophets. In that context... <clears throat> The armies of Syria and Israel had allied themselves against the little country of Judah. Everyone in Judah was afraid. But what did God say? Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. That's what Peter is saying to us today. In the early 1940s, a young Serbian named Nikolai spoke out against Nazism. That wasn't very popular if he lived in Germany. Guess what happened to him? He ended up in a concentration camp. Excuse me. Here is what he wrote in his diary. I wrote it down. This is his prayer to God. Bless my enemies, O Lord, even I bless them and do not curse them. Enemies have driven me into your embrace more than friends have. Just as a hunted animal finds safer shelter than an unhunted animal does, so have I. You see, Nikolai knew what it said in Matthew chapter 10. And do not Fear those who kill the body, but who cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Your five need this. Think about your five. They need to see your example despite the pain. If you want to overcome the flames of your pain and inspire your five, then God would say to you, don't fear people. Instead, fear Christ. What do we mean, fear Christ? Revere Him. Respect Him. Regard Him as the Holy Lord in your life. Again, when two enemies invaded Isaiah's little country of Judah. And everybody was afraid. God told Isaiah, let's finish that passage. Nor be afraid of their threats, <clears throat> nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, Him you shall hallow. Let Him be your fear, and let Him be your dread. Here, Peter uses some of that same terminology. Look at verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Sanctify Him in your hearts. This means, first of all, treat Him. Treat the Lord with special respect by what you say. Fear Jesus first in word. Show reverence for Jesus by what comes out of your mouths. Look at verse 15. Let's finish it. Always. Notice, not sometimes, 
Not occasionally, but always. Always be ready to give a defense to somebody, some people, a few people. No, to everyone, especially your five, who ask for a reason, for the hope. Remember that living hope? Living hope that's in you with meekness and fear. When Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives, each crisis, and by the way, there will be crisis come into your life. You better believe it. Each crisis becomes an opportunity for witness. But this is true only if you're prepared to give an answer when people ask you how you can have so much hope when you're in so much pain. Here's a story about me that you have not heard. Only a few people have heard this story. The people who have heard this story were people in immense pain. It was around the fall of 2011 that suddenly my right arm started tingling all the time. In a few months, that tingling had developed into my right arm felt dead. I had no feelings. It was like my arm was asleep. I went from doctor to doctor. They couldn't figure it out. The only one that actually helped me was my chiropractor. And I couldn't go to my chiropractor every day. I couldn't go to him seven days a week. Finally, one of my doctors said, hey, I want to send you to a clinic in Memphis. There's a guy there, a doctor there, that takes odd cases. And your case is certainly odd. Can I send him all your test results? I said, send it to him. Let's get it booked. So we sent all the tests over to him, and I had my appointment with him. When he walked into the exam room, he said, I think I know what's wrong, but I, there's one more test I want you to take. And then I'll tell you what I think. So I said, let's go, let's do it. So we did one more test. I went back to the exam room, waited about 15, 20 minutes. The doctor walks in. He said, it is what I thought it was. You've got a fat head. No, actually, he didn't say that. He said, you've got a head too big for your body. I wear a size eight hat. The common size hat for a man is six and a half. I've got a big head. And he said, you've got too big a head for the, for the bone framework you have in the neck. And what is happening is your big head is pressing down constantly on your neck and it's not working. That's the bad news. The good news. I can go in there with surgery and I can add titanium spacers up and down your neck. I can add in titanium screws. I can take a bone from cadavers and I can rebuild your neck. But it will never be as good as what God gave you in the first place when you were born. But I can get close to it. You won't have a lot of flexibility. You may notice I don't do this very often because it hurts intensely. I'm, I turn to you. 
But he said, I can't give you what God gave you in the first place, but with this surgery in about a month or so, you will be able to go back to work on a part-time basis. I said, what? Part-time basis? I've been working full-time up to the day. I haven't missed a day of work. And full-time to me is 60 hours a week. That's what I classify as full-time. He looked at me and stared. Okay, when your doctor stares at you, that's a funny feeling. He said, impossible. What do you mean, impossible? He said, I'm really surprised you were able to walk into this exam room today. Because based on what I'm seeing in this test, you should be bedfast with pain. I said, yeah, I feel a lot of pain. But I refuse to let pain conquer me. Because I believe if, if I succumbed to the pain, I believe in a few months I'd be dead. So I work through it. It's hard, it's tough, but I work through it. At that point, the doctor said, wait right here. That started a 90-minute parade of other doctors. Every doctor in that clinic wanted to come in and talk to me. Because they said, you're odd. You're weird. Uh, my story is actually in two medical journals. But see, I refuse to let pain conquer me. As I stand here, do I have pain? Yes. I have pain 24-7. I'm used to it. But I don't let it conquer me. And because of that, praise be to God, I've been able to help two people. I helped to bond through them because they were in immense pain. And eventually those two people became Christians. And I've encouraged many others who are in deep pain with my story. I don't say it to make myself look good because I'm just a dumb old country preacher. Not a very good one as is. But I wanted to connect to people. Because here's what I found. I used to think people were most blessed by our great victories. Now, no. But now I know differently. People are just longing to hear others speak of how they have walked through the deepest valleys. The world lifts up the victorious and the successful, but God lifts up the brokenhearted. What pain, what misery, what problem, what difficulty do you have that could help someone else on the road to heaven? Your five need this. Your five need this. When you worship Jesus... When you worship Jesus, even with a broken heart, people sit up and take notice. Your suffering is an opportunity for a powerful witness, especially when you take that opportunity to speak highly of our Lord, even in the midst of your pain. So if you're going to find the benefit in pain, then first fear Jesus in word. But not only that, fear Jesus in actions as well. Show reverence for Jesus, not only by what you say, but also by what you do. Verse 16. 
having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, when they speak down, when they make fun of you, when they criticize you, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. They'll know better. You have a clear conscience only when you obey God's Word. You know, the conscience is like a window that lets in the light of God's truth. As long as you respond to that truth and put it into practice, then that window does what? It stays clear. But if you persist in disregarding God's Word, then that window gets dirtier and dirtier until the light of God's truth can no longer enter then the conscience is no longer clear and the line between right and wrong gets very fuzzy. But with God's help, you can keep God's word and so keep your conscience clear even in the hard times, in the times of pain. You can do what's right even when you feel like doing what's wrong. Then even your harshest critics will have to eat their own words. That's the benefit of living a, being a living witness in the midst of your pain. It can lead those who know you best, your five, to true and genuine faith in Christ. That's a part of God's will for every believer. Verse 17, For it is better, it is the will of God to suffer. You're going to suffer. To suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You're five. You're five. Need this immensely. It is God's will to use your unjust and unfair suffering to bring people to faith in His Son. Dear friends, if you want to enjoy the benefit of pain, then God would say to you, don't fear people, fear Jesus. Fear Jesus in word and in action. Then what? Follow Jesus from grief to glory. Look to Jesus himself for the inspiration, the strength to take advantage of the unjust suffering in your life. Depend on the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your sins and to keep your conscience clear, even in your pain. Verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. Why? That He might bring us to God. In the real world of relationships, it is impossible to love people who have a problem, who have a need, without in some sense sharing or even changing places with them. All real life-changing love involves some form of this kind of exchange. So how can God be a God of love? if he does not become personally involved in suffering the same violence, the same oppression, the grief, the pain that we experience? The answer to that question is twofold. First, God can't. Second, only one major religion even claims that God does. That's Christianity. You're five. 
Your five need this immensely. Jesus' unjust suffering made it possible for you to forgive as He forgave and to do love even your enemies with the unconditional love that He has for you. So look to Jesus. Look to Jesus for the strength to take advantage of the unjust suffering in your own life because His unjust suffering brought you to God. You're five. Boy, they need this immensely. More than that, Jesus' unjust suffering brought him victory in the end. It led him to conquer his enemies. Let's finish verse 18. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. Jesus' unjust suffering brought you to God. Jesus' unjust suffering brought to Him victory with the result that He... His unjust suffering also brought salvation for you and me. By His death and resurrection, Jesus saves disobedient, or excuse me, obedient believers. He saves obedient believers from their sins. Verse 21. That is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism washes away our sins. Look to Jesus, depend on Him, because His unjust suffering brought you to God. His unjust suffering brought Him the victory, the wonderful victory. Verse 22. Who has gone, this is speaking of Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to Him. Hallelujah. Jesus is Lord. Revere Him and Him alone. Obey Him. On July 16, 1969, Apollo 11 blasted off from Florida, carrying the first human beings, hopefully, to the moon. The president at that time, President Nixon, had his speechwriter to write a speech just in case. In case something happened bad, where the mission failed, and they could not bring back the astronauts back to Earth. The speech was written. That speech was never given. Because on July the 20th, with just about 30 seconds of fuel left, the lunar module touched down on the moon. Those astronauts, when they got back, were treated as heroes, and rightly so. Parades were given for them, uh, standing ovations, people were writing about them. They were all celebrating their wonderful victory. 
And it was, if you remember 1969, it was a wonderful victory. That pales. That's just a drop in the bucket of the ocean of victory that Jesus received when he went back to heaven and that we will receive when we enter our eternal reward. That's real victory. Folks, I want you to remember, life is not a straight line leading from one blessing to the next, then finally to heaven. Life is a winding and troubled road, switchback after switchback. The point of biblical stories like Joseph being sold into slavery in Egypt, the point of Job and all that he suffered, Esther, Ruth, all those biblical stories to help us feel in our hearts, not just knowing our heads, to know that God is for us in all these turns. God never leaves us. God is not just showing up after the trouble and cleaning it up. God is plotting the course and managing the trouble with far-reaching purposes for our good and for the glory and for the glory of His Son. Your five. Boy, your five need this. Really bad. How will you handle pain? Tonight we'll talk about hardships. This morning we're talking about pain. How do you handle pain? And how will you witness to your five? That's our question for today. If you're not a Christian, once again, will you put your faith in Him by believing, by repenting of your past, by confessing Jesus as the true Son of God, by being baptized? If you are a Christian, and I'm mostly this morning talking to Christians, do you need to seek His forgiveness? 1 John 1, 9, He will forgive. The church stands ready to pray for you and with you. James 5, 16. This morning, if you have any need, we'll have two elders up here waiting for you. Will you please come as we stand and sing for your encouragement. I am resolved.